Hello and welcome to The Urbanist, Monocle 24's programme all about the cities we call home. I'm your host, Andrew Tuck. Coming up... Today is a historical moment. The Chernihiv can be bike city now or never. If we lose this moment, I feel that car users will come back and I will be, feel that we didn't use this moment. This week marked six months since Russia invaded Ukraine. But in an odd twist of fate... The 24th of August is also the anniversary of the country gaining independence from the Soviet Union in 1991. Today, we continue our reporting from the country, where we found a nation fighting a war, but also a people trying to prepare their cities for a better future. Rebuilding is already well underway, with volunteers and officials working to get homes ready for the winter months and making schools safe for the start of the new academic year this September. We also met activists who want to take this opportunity to rebuild and to rethink their cities to leave a lasting legacy for residents. So let's rejoin Monocle's Carlotta Rebello as she brings us part two of our Ukraine report. Today we find her heading north from Kyiv. Here's Carlotta. The city of Chernihiv is one of the oldest in Ukraine. Its origins date back to 907. It's a picturesque town, just 70 kilometers from the border with Belarus, which made it the first major city that Russian soldiers reached when they attempted to occupy Kyiv from the north on the 24th of February. The shelling lasted six weeks, and over 3,000 buildings were damaged as a result of the attack. 80% of them were houses of local residents. On the corner of Victory Avenue, we pass through the ruins of the city's famous Hotel Ukraine, which was destroyed when an airstrike hit at 2 a.m. in the early days of the invasion. But much like the cities of Bucha and Irpin, rebuilding has been well underway here too, ahead of the winter months. Today we're on the way to school number 35 to meet with the principal, Natalia Ivanichka, where local volunteer groups and NGOs have been helping repair the building. Ivanichka's school is the only that's currently open in the entire city, welcoming students from across the region. When we arrive, life surprises us. Summer school is in session, children are laughing and playing outside, and the war suddenly feels like a distant memory. We have 35 schools in Chernigiv, and one school is for only young students. It's from 8 for 10 years. At all, it's 36 schools. We have number 35. And now we have students from different schools, maybe from four or six schools. The students live near this district. And uh, this is from the summer school, right? Yes, it is a summer school or summer activities. And is this like their final presentation or just, you know, end of the week? It's a final presentation because uh, they study uh, two weeks. And the next week they will be continuing their studies. It's my room. How long was this school closed for this year? Uh, This school opened uh, in April. 
because uh, uh, this uh, war in Chernigiv uh, finished in 5th of April. And um, I returned to this cabinet and I uh, saw my favorite flowers. And I'm afraid that uh, my flowers die. <laughs> but when I return to this room, my office, I can see it and I can see you another windows. It's my favorite flowers. Oh, you have several <laughs> colors as well. Yes, but different colors. And it's a present from my teachers, from my students, from my parents. I very like it. And um, uh, maybe they wait when I came to this room. <laughs> and I was very happy because all of this um, was alive here. It was very terrible, but I am um, optimist. I'm a strong woman. <laughs> I like uh, leaf. I like all beautiful. I like uh, this patriot uh, men's, women's, children. <laughs> and I like this school. And uh, I hope that all will be good because we think, I think, my people think, my family think that uh, Ukraine very strong, uh, that uh, our army very strong too, and we all patriots. So this is your classroom? Yes, my classroom. But we teach uh, and study physics only in distant, because our students uh, in April, May and June uh, study distance, uh, because uh, we have many Syrians all this time, a day and at night. And that's why we cannot uh, study uh, student at this room. I did not work several months at this class, only distant. But distance learning is not the only way the school has been forced to adapt. In order to be able to welcome students in the new academic year, the school is now required to have new bomb shelters for all students. Teachers and parents are all volunteering to help with the construction. Here, it really takes a village. Over the last few months, the theatre room in the basement has been used as a bomb shelter for the students attending summer school. As Ivanichka shows us around, she explains what are some of the ways teachers keep students calm during air raid sirens. When we uh, listen to sirens, we uh, go to this um, bomb shelter and we uh, watch movies with our students. We do all necessary for their uh, psychology relaxation. And uh, we only use uh, tables with paint for painting, for listening music. Some days ago, uh, we listened to uh, Assyrians and uh, we went to this bomb shelter and I know that at this day was bombed Vinnytsia. And we wait at this bomb shelter uh, several hours, more than two hours. And I'm afraid that bombs can uh, fly to my school. And I'm afraid because uh, I have more than 200 students and in this bomb shelter. We have very uh, clever children. And when uh, um, we listen to sirens, these signals uh, came to our um, telephones. And uh, they come to teachers and say, uh, now Syrians, we should go to the bomb shelter. We not uh, explained our uh, students. They explained our teachers and director. <laughs> they were serious. <laughs> they feel um, not uh, so good uh, because they understand it's a danger and they understand they're not alone. 
they with uh, their teachers, with friends, and uh, they understand uh, we can uh, use uh, help from uh, other people. Before this war, I saw that uh, our children uh, not was so patriots like mm-hmm. now. And for example, when they draw, when they uh, rest, they uh, often uh, sing songs about uh, war but patriot uh, songs. Uh, they know all um, politics in Ukraine, on, uh, all news in Ukraine, all facts uh, in Ukraine. And uh, many people have uh, parents, mother and father, uh, who took part in this war. Some um, of them, uh, maybe uh, Uh, ten of parents was killed at this war. And that's why we try don't speak about war with our students. And that's why we watch with um, students different movies, but kind movies, not about war. As we make our way outside of the theatre room, we walk past a classroom where teachers are receiving first aid training and a briefing on what to do if the school gets under attack we make one last stop before heading out. So this is the room you've been rebuilding? All these windows was broken. And uh, not far from our school was bombed. And that's why our building uh, have many different uh, destructions. Was anyone in the school when that happened? Yeah, yeah. More than 100 people was uh, at a bomb shelter. It's uh, old men, it's uh, our teachers, it's uh, children. And uh, they uh, uh, think that our school was broken, but uh, only windows was broken. And our students all live now. Here we meet Serhi Dikalov, who has been coordinating the subcontractors tasked with rebuilding schools in Chernihiv and this one in particular. The main goal of our project is to rebuild affected schools in Chernihiv. And over here our priority is to replace all the windows that have been damaged by explosions and shockwaves. We do not have a fixed budget. We depend heavily on donations, and therefore we ourselves decide which windows need full replacing and which ones can be fixed. The state might recommend that all windows get replaced with new ones, but we might not have enough money for that. We use our own discretion and our own specialists and contractors will decide whether we can simply repair a window so that we can save some money to help other schools too. We have to be careful with money because every day the price changes. There's a really high currency fluctuation and things get more expensive from one day to another and we need to adapt our work to that. Volunteers have flocked to Chernihiv over the past few months, many making the two-hour drive from Kyiv, which is now even longer when you factor in the many remaining military checkpoints. One of the institutions leading the relief efforts in the city is Ukrainian PRISM, a Kyiv-based foreign policy think tank that has now transformed into a humanitarian aid provider. Yevhen Romanenko, who normally organizes foreign policy conferences, has been managing PRISM's humanitarian aid center in the city. Hi, Carlotta. Nice to meet you. Let's go. Welcome to our White House. This is one of the logistics centers for humanitarian help for Chernigiv region. 
We work uh, with our team. My friends uh, from Kyiv, they're looking for some help, some goods. And I'm in Chernigiv, I'm uh, coordinate distribution. Also, I am working with my partners from Volunteer Sphere in Chernihiv, and they help us to distribute this cargo for people. I'm a project manager. I'm prepared a project. I organized a conference, uh, organized visiting of foreign journalists for Ukraine. And now, uh, also now, I'm working with these activities too. But my main activity now is this warehouse. Um, can you describe maybe a bit what is some of the aid that you're distributing here? Are you talking about medicine? What is the materials you have here? Uh, usually, it's medicine, it's food, some bed linen, lighters, tents. Uh, uh, we worked with other different people in Europe, in United States. Uh, we received aids from Kazakhstan. And also, a few days ago, my colleagues, uh, we bought an anti-drone rifle uh, with money that was donated by bodyguards, by our own sources, resources. And we try to uh, satisfy the needs of our bodyguards. And also, we, we help Chernigiv people uh, who have troubles after invasion. For example, they uh, lost houses, flats, etc., uh, etc. Et One of the other consequences of Russia's invasion has been a destruction of the public transport network. Chernihiv is a city where the trolley bus is the main mode of public transit, and air raids meant damages to the lines that hang above the city's boulevards. In those first few weeks after Russian troops left, the only way to get critical aid to those in need was by bicycle. And this has led to a renewed effort to turn Chernihiv into a sustainable mobility city. Serhi Bezborodko is the founder of Ekomisto. Misto means city in Ukrainian. And this is an NGO that has been distributing free bikes to residents. Sergei has been trying to transform his city for some time now, as he tells me when we meet by the new bike lanes in front of the very loud old mashrutkas. We push more and more bikes, better infrastructure, and trying to develop community to push our municipality. Because I'm very surprised that economical crisis, fuel crisis, but drivers continue to use a car in very short destination which uh, can be covered by bike or by foot. But we feel that Chernihiv is a very good city for sustainable mobility because it is uh, not big, it is flat. And we organized some questionnaires and uh, the statistics said that girls and boys are using bikes in Chernihiv 50 to 50. It is the difference between other cities in uh, all Ukraine. For example, in Kyiv, maybe only 8% of girls and women uh, use bikes because of long distances and because Kyiv has uh, some hills. But Chernihiv generally is flat and very compact city. So now we feel the historical moment when we can end the war better than it was before. <laughs> 
And uh, our tactic for now is uh, to implement uh, very quick and very cheap projects. We do not need separate bike lines. From the Soviet period, Chernihiv got a very, very wide streets, so we can replant them only by paint and by special uh, road marks. We use this uh, sentence like a strategical communication sentence that uh, after the war, after our victory, it must be better than it was before. Now is a perfect time to cancel all our old marshrutkas and uh, diesel uh, gasoline cars and to make city more sustainable, more ecological. Today is a very, very uh, strange period from Chernihiv because every time Chernihiv was like a provincial city, not far from Kiev and uh, not far from border with Russia. But now uh, a lot of uh, architects, a lot of activists, a lot of urbanists here with us and helping us to make city better and better and we are working on uh, some concept of uh, changes in city finally we're talking about ecological problems about sustainable uh, mobility and so on it is important to show the perspective for locals and for other people what will be with Chernihiv after our victory because uh, on an official statistic we know that one third of uh, citizens uh, didn't come back yet and uh, it is a very bad perspective for city because all our budget was from the taxis and so on and without people we cannot imagine Chernihiv so we have to show them good and positive ideas, projects, that Chernihiv is still alive, that we are working on something, that everything will be okay. We come to the... It is the last of 100 bikes. Bikes for Ukraine is a, like an international campaign about sustainable mobility. We want to provide uh, Ukrainians volunteers, medics, social workers with free bikes. We are trying to get as much used bike as we can. We are repairing them, fix some uh, simple things and give for free for those people who help other people. The recipients of the bike is uh, volunteers, social workers, medics and workers of uh, city critical infrastructure departments or organization. But when we start this project, of course, uh, thousands and thousands of citizens also need bikes because people lost their usual pass, some bridges are crushed in Chernihiv, destroyed, some districts uh, are living without public transportation because uh, we lost maybe half of our trolleybus uh, lines. And now bikes are very, very, very important for citizens to hold the possibility to move around the city. And even when the war started, we also used bicycles even at February. People uh, use bikes for evacuation in Kherson, in a city which is under occupation. Uh, people also use bikes to get uh, from the city 
After they left them in a field, they left them in a forest, and after getting on some volunteers' buses, evacuating buses, and so on. And talk to me uh, just briefly about then what's your ambition next? So you received a hundred bikes here from donations, only ten left here. Talk to me about what happens mm -hmm. next. Our next step is to find another hundred bikes and to prepare them for new users. And uh, except of this, we are preparing an application for a new donor, which will provide us free bike stations, uh, free parkings for bikes. And also we are looking for financial support to add more bike lines in a city. So we want to invite some experts in uh, mobility and uh, We want to jump into this official bureaucracy procedure of replanning the streets. Today is a historical moment. The Chernihiv can be bike city now or never. <laughs> If we lose this moment, I feel that uh, also car users will come back and again our streets will be full of cars and I will be, uh, feel very upset and that we didn't use this moment. As we approached the last few days of our journey through Ukraine, we made our way to the southwest of the country. Departing from Kyiv and a 15-hour train journey later, we arrive in the city of Chernivtsi, described as the de facto literary capital of Ukraine. I'm Kate Sarkon. I'm an American writer and translator in Chernivtsi. I took you guys on a tour of Chernivtsi National University. It's a beautiful castle and students still get to study here. So uh, we just went into the church, which is one of the best preserved churches in Chernivtsi. In Soviet times, it was used to house computers. And today we can walk around, look at the icons, which were painted by an Austrian. Chernivtsi University was built by a Czech architect. So it's really this Bukovinian decadence, as I like to say. <laughs> The region of Bukovina, which Chernivtsi is a part of, was the most ethnically diverse province of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So you had not only Ukrainians, but Germans, Hungarians, Poles, Romanians, Jews living together in quite relative harmony, which also means you had some really great writers like Paul Celan, the famous uh, Jewish-German poet, Olya Kobylanska, the famous uh, Ukrainian feminist naturalist writer, and many, many other, Aaron Appelfeld, many, many names. And uh, this kind of Of, uh, cultural diversity is, I think, what made Chernivtsi a great melting pot of ideas, cultures. And today it really continues. You have an international literary festival in Chernivtsi every year where writers from all over Ukraine and all over Europe come, or all over the world, actually. It's uh, got a lot of beautiful cafes where young, aspiring writers hang out, and it's just, yeah, it's a place of literature. That melting pot of cultures that Kate describes there continues in Chernivtsi today. In fact, the war has prompted a new wave of people from all around the country who chose to relocate here. Sitting just 40 kilometers from the border with Romania and having suffered no direct airstrikes so far, Chernivtsi is one of the cities seen as a safe haven for many. Here's Kate again. 
They have a population of around 250,000 people in peace times, and more than 100,000 people came to Chernivtsi after the start of the invasion, which is insane. It's almost doubled the population. Um, and basically, we had people from Kharkiv, Mariupol, Kyiv, uh, from all over coming to seek refuge in Chernivtsi. I would say that there's less people here now than there was when the invasion started. What I said I really noticed was that even in this like coffee-to-go stands, there were lines of people, and you really understood that there was so many more people here than usual. And we'll see like what happens. This war, unfortunately, it will last for a long time, so it might happen again when we have waves of refugees coming, but hopefully now the city infrastructure will be even more prepared than before. It's uh, good for Chernivtsi because a lot of people who never have been here and maybe even never wanted to come here, they come here and see this city and now they have like a second home here and I think that they will come back here because like a lot of people came here from Kyiv, from uh, Kharkiv and as for now they are back to their homes but I think that after the war ended they will come here again just to walk to be a tourist and they will feel like a home here. That's Bogdan Staryuk, an urban planner at Chernivtsi City Council. He's been working on a project to transform some of the city's streets into pedestrian areas. He told us more about his vision as we walked around some of the areas where this urban intervention is taking place. It's a pedestrian street for uh, weekends and uh, weekdays. And I hope that in the future, after the construction of that square, that's a uh, Soborna Square, uh, this street have to be fully pedestrian after the reconstruction of this street. And also there are a few more streets that have to be repaired as a pedestrian in the future. So later, like I think in a few years, there will be no car 24 hours per day. Because we have like a city concept till the 2030. And the concept says that that street must be pedestrian uh, seven days per week. Usually in most cities when you try to implement these pedestrian zones and to change the street's dynamics, sometimes ends up leading to a bit of a revolution in the mobility and public transport. Are there also plans to perhaps invest in a transport network so that people don't drive as much? Yeah, sure, we, have, uh, we see the problems that if we close some street for cars, we have to give something instead of that, and for sure it have to be like a public transport, uh, like a infrastructure for a bicycle and uh, other micro mobility. And we are working on that. Like we have the main street of the city, like right there. That's the whole of Na Street. That the street goes from the one part till the other. It's the longest street in Chernivtsi. And now uh, we are making the project of uh, renovation of uh, rebuilding that, that street. And it also will be more pedestrian friendly, like for sure we will have the cars and uh, trolley buses and buses, but also it will be more friendly for pedestrians and bicycle drivers. Okay, let's go like on the other right. cars. And uh, there are a few projects that city are working right now, like just a few moments ago we go through that one little street that became also pedestrian uh, seven days per week. And I hope that we will reconstruct it also this year already because it's very small, but we can make a big change with it street. Before saying goodbye to Bogdan, I had one final question. I wanted to hear why he thought it was important to carry out this work while the war is going on instead of using the money towards the military or aid. Here he is again. I was asking this question to myself also for a few times 
is it the right time to do it pedestrian zone right now during the war? But I think that yes, because uh, I want people to come here to Chernivtsi feel more comfortable here. And soldiers that are from Chernivtsi, I want them to come back here in Chernivtsi and see better cities than was before than they left. So that's why we are still, at least I'm still working with that, with the pedestrian zone, with other projects in this sphere. I want them to see the difference between that was and that now, because we have to move closer to Europe, not only with the EU, with the money, with the economics, but also how does the city look, because all of us was in the Europe and we see the nice cities, we're friendly cities to people. And I want Trinity to be also a people-friendly city. In the early hours of the morning on the next day, we hopped on a small van, taking us across the Ukraine-Romania border. Within a few hours of departing from Chernitsi, our passports were stamped, and just like that, our journey through Ukraine came to an end. There are several things that will remain with me for years to come, but perhaps the most striking was the duality of living with war, finding a moment of happiness every day to get you through the night. For Monocle in Ukraine, I'm Carlotta Rabello. And that brings us to the end of our Ukraine special here on The Urbanist. You can read the full reportage of our nine-day journey across the country in the brand new September issue of Monocle magazine, which is out today. Find us in all good newsstands or support our independent journalism by becoming a subscriber at monocle.com. Today's episode of The Urbanist was produced and edited by Carlo Trebello and David Stevens. And to play you out this week, here's Go A with Shum. Thank you for listening, city lovers. Music